Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm Doug Sweeney, the Dean of Beeson Divinity School, and I'm here today with my co-host, Kristen Padilla, to interview two of our colleagues uh, about the ways in which the Lord used them uh, in the mission field this summer. Some of you may recall that on our last Beeson podcast, we interviewed two of our MDiv students here at Beeson named Kyle Young and Russell Mann about the missions work they did over the summer in Bolivia and Ecuador. Well, today we are interviewing the director uh, of our global center here at Beeson Divinity School, Dr. David Parks, and another one of our students, Samantha Parsons, about more of the ways in which God used Beeson people, uh, both at home and overseas, to spread the gospel and serve others over the course of the summer. Kristen, would you mind telling our listeners just a little bit more about today's guests? Yes, I'm very happy to introduce you all to uh, Dr. David Parks, who directs our Global Center here at Beeson Divinity School, and he also teaches our Introduction to Christian Missions class, as well as oversees our cross-cultural ministry practicums. And David um, and his wife and family served in Southeast Asia for six years with the International Mission Board. Um, So he has uh, a lot of experience um, on the mission field, and he's married to Jen, and they have a number of children, which David, we would love for you to introduce them in just a bit. And then um, sitting to my left is Samantha Parsons. She's one of our outstanding MDiv students, and she serves as the children's director at her church, Hopewell Baptist Church in Pinson, Alabama. She is married to John, and they have two children. So welcome, David and Samantha, to the Beeson Podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Let us begin with um, you introducing. I gave a basic bio introduction to our listeners, but we really want to know um, just a more personal aspect of who you are, your spiritual journey, how you came to know the Lord, and how you came to Beeson Divinity School. Well, I grew up in a... Uh, Southern Baptist home. I was always involved in church. Southern Baptist before I was Christian, of course. And <laughs> it was uh, really 19 years old when I, I got my life right with Christ, when I really believed that, that he saved me. Um, before then, I, I feel like I was trying to earn it on my own, trying to be good enough without having to actually surrender my life. And so it was the end of that f- first year of college, I was playing college tennis, and internationals are everywhere. And just being able to see the Bible, the gospel, through their eyes challenged me to really ask the question, do I really believe that there was this man who said he was God and that I should follow him? It all of a sudden struck me as, oh, I guess this is weird for people who um, have not really been around Christians or who just don't believe in Christianity at all. So um, so it's interesting that one of the things that led me to Christ was also something that made me interested in other people um, from other countries and other religious and um, worldviews. So um, anyway, it was about a year after that that I felt called to ministry. And for the longest time, that was a youth ministry 
and I really didn't have any other plan. Uh, I just felt like this was a huge need, and I wanted to, to give my life to this. Pretty soon after that, actually, I said it was the only thing for a long time, but actually, before too long, I had this idea that at some point, I'm probably going to go into missions, but I didn't know when or where. I just knew for now, and definitely youth ministry. Went to Beeson Divinity School, and I um, started single. I finished single, and you know, watched my my friends get married the whole time. And and it was um, after that time I met Jen. She is from West Virginia, kind of all over. She's a Wheaton graduate. She was here in Birmingham to um, to go to UAB for physical therapy school, and so she was going to Oak Mountain Presbyterian. And I was, even though I was a, a Baptist youth minister in Hueytown, I would occasionally go to their singles events, had lots of friends in their singles um, ministry. And, of course, I was going there for fellowship, right? <laughs> and uh, I, that's how I met my wife. And um, she's amazing, I'm super kind, funny, uh, beautiful, and we just um, hit it off quickly. We met and married in just under a year. So... Um, it wasn't long after that that we felt like God was calling us to do something else, um, we, and we were pretty sure it was missions. I came back here and talked to the first director of the Global Center, Dr. Bill O'Brien. I told him what I felt like I wanted to do, which included both student ministry overseas and training leaders, potentially in a seminary. And I said, well, what do you think? He said, I think you should get a Ph.D. in missions. I'm like, well, what else do you think? Because I was not interested in a Ph.D., and um, lo and behold, I now have his job. <laughs> that he uh, he said that um, you know he thought it would equip me well to to do this. So um, we went to Southern uh, Baptist Seminary in Louisville. Had our first daughter while I was studying there, and I had a really good time at Southern in the Billy Graham School. And had my I got my PhD in missions. So our first daughter was born there, and then we we did not have another child till we got overseas in Malaysia. That's when Anna was born at the end of 2005. She was the um, only redhead born in the hospital that year, I'm confident. Um, not a whole lot of redhead children over there. I, actually, so here's how it progressed. We got to Southeast Asia with a blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl. Then we had a redhead, blue-eyed little girl. And so the, the um, crowd at the malls, you know, peaked a little bit more. Then we had twins, boy and girl twins, and so we were kind of like a zoo occasionally, walking around with other people um, you're just interested in us. And, and what so, are all their names? So my oldest girl is Corey. She's now 17, just starting her senior year. She just started driving. Um, I only finished that, oh, passed that um, driver's test, fifth time's a charm. <laughs> She's... Um, Brilliant, great, great writer. She's just a very gifted. She's finished a novel, and actually she finished it, and now she's um, about finished rewriting it, and that's where her interests lie. My goodness. Yeah. Um, so Anna, my redhead, she is um, just a really, really gifted artist. Um, she's also very good at math. She's uh, been on the math team at Barry. This year she's doing homeschool with Excelsior. <laughs> My um, twins are boy and girl, Austin and Julie, and Austin is um, also, you know, both he and Julie are very good students, and he likes tennis, which is great because that's, you know, that's my sport, and um, he's having fun with that. 
Julie is um, she likes baking. She likes um, hanging around the house. You know, she's real funny, and she's just real laid back. Great, Samantha. Yeah, I was raised in a small town just north of here, and went to a small church in that same town. I was one of like five or six generations from my family that attended and was raised in that church. Had a very strong um, spiritual leader in my grandmother, and she influenced me a lot. So I don't remember ever doubting the truth of the Bible. I just didn't necessarily apply it to my life. I was married uh, shortly after graduating high school, and we had our son, Jared, who is eight. And 17 months later, my daughter, Sarah, who is seven. And it was actually through them that God showed me uh, his love for me and helped me actually start applying that relationship to my life instead of the very legalistic idea I had had before that. So when they were a couple of years old, uh, God actually saved me and began to work in my life. Shortly after that, I felt called to study the Bible more in depth. This led me to Southeastern Bible College. I literally found the school by just Googling Bible programs in Alabama. And within two months had been accepted and enrolled in the program moved very quickly after that. I really enjoyed my time there, graduated in 2016 with a degree in Bible, and knew that I wasn't done. I wanted to keep pursuing this. I really enjoy um, academic studies and had a good experience with the small school and interdenominational and just a really great community. So it felt very natural to look at Beeson next, us still being very small and interdenominational and strongly uh, a community. So I immediately applied and came straight into Beeson after that. By then, I uh, had changed churches, wanted to kind of look around for my own tradition and environment to grow in. We uh, moved to a Baptist church in Pinson, where I still serve. And I've done a few different jobs there, volunteer work, and then came on staff about two years ago working with our young adults. And then this past summer, started working with our children's ministry. David, we want to get around to asking Samantha about the ways in which the Lord used her this summer in the state of Washington and what she learned and what our listeners can benefit from based on her experience. But we thought we might begin by asking you as the director of our cross-cultural ministry program and global center to let our listeners know a little bit about the center and its work and a little bit about what our MDiv students are required to do. Uh, with respect to cross-cultural ministry. The mission of the Global Center is to help people know their world, serve God in their world, and help the world know God through Jesus Christ. And so we do that through a few things. Um, For one, sometimes people will come and and do a tour, and we're able to teach them a little bit about missions. We, um, Of course, the introduction to Christian missions is part of our curriculum. We have an event that we just had today. You got to come to our our first one called Global Voices. It's uh, almost every week during the semester, and we're able to invite some some compelling speakers, and sometimes it's Beeson students, to just share about um, what God's doing in another part of the world, or maybe what God's doing locally, cross-culturally. And we want to we want students to be able to to be exposed to worldviews, ideas, experiences that are outside the norm during this time. And we hope to do it in a way that is going to challenge them academically, but 
in a way that is compelling um, through through the stories and narratives themselves. Sometimes we'll have other organizations who are with us as we have these events. And I think there have been times we've been able to connect people um, in the community or the Sanford community because of the event. So I, I just, I've been just really over the years uh, blown away with how God has blessed Global Voices. And I, if anyone, if you're listening there, you've never been to a Global Voices, please look it up. It's on the website. I'd love to have you there. Um, they've, for five straight years, they've been well attended. And also the, the content has, has been good. I've been very pleased with it. We also have something called Lunch Club where we invite international students to come into the Global Center. We give them free lunch. And we are um, asking Beeson students to come and be able to get to know some of these students. Now, it's not bait and switch. We don't sit them down and say, hey, now we're going to share the gospel with you. But we do encourage everyone to, to develop relationships with them. And over the years, quite a few Beeson students have had opportunities to share the gospel with people who are from radically different backgrounds. Um, one, one of my favorite experiences that someone shared was Miles Hickson because he got to know this guy from China. His um, English name was Jack. Miles was a very bright student, and, and he's funny. He, the way he was telling this story cracked me up. He was just talking about his own helplessness in trying to share the gospel with someone who had zero background in Christianity. Mm-hmm. He said he used the word saved, and the guy said, well, what's that? What does that mean? And he said, um, you know, he talked about being born again, and the the guy said, well, you know, you mean reincarnation? And at every level, Miles was having to back up and go, no, wait, no, I didn't mean that. Mm-hmm. And I loved the fact that he had that experience. So those are some of the things we do. Also, obviously, the cross-cultural ministry practicum, which is why uh, we're here. This was started well before I got here, and a lot of the background behind it, the reason they started it is just the reality, even of local ministers having to deal with a newly multicultural world and wanting people to, to understand what ministry looks like in different cultural contexts. So um, as I choose ministry partner, basically the way it works now is I will partner with ministries around the world, some in in the States, um, most of them are outside the States, and I give students options to choose from. And I'm looking at opportunities, in particular for evangelism, church planting, unreached people groups, and these types of things. But also on the other end, there are so many places in the world where the church has grown and they really need um, some leadership training. The growth has outstripped the leadership, and so... I definitely want students to have the opportunity to go and either observe biblical training that's also cross-cultural and maybe participate in it at other times. So those are the main – within each of those social needs and issues uh, come up. That's great. And all of our Master of Divinity students get to participate in a cross-cultural ministry experience. Yes. Including Samantha. And Samantha – I find it interesting. Uh, some of our, uh, many of our students went overseas to have this cross-cultural experience, but you actually stayed here in the United States. And so, could you tell us and our listeners about um, working uh, with Sacred Road Ministries and what that ministry um, is and does? Yeah. So I chose Sacred Road because the only other mission experience I had 
was with another Native American population in New Mexico. When I was 10, my grandfather was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and kind of one of the last things he wanted to experience was a mission trip to the Navajo Natives. So we went on that mission trip. My entire family are truck drivers, so we loaded up a big rig and drove all the way across the U.S. Oh, that's great. To take stuff out there. So it was a lot of fun at a young age. Um, So that was really the only experience I had with any form of missions, so it seemed like a good fit for me to travel to Yakima Native American Reservation to spend time with them. Um, It was also the first time I had ever traveled anywhere by myself, and the longest I've ever been away from home, especially away from my children. So it was definitely one of the more anxious requirements I knew Beeson had, but turned out to be one of the best experiences I've had at Beeson. So I went to uh, Yakima. I flew 2,000 miles across the country by myself and spent two weeks there. The first week, I helped with what they call teams. So during the summer, Sacred Road will have teams of youth groups and different groups from churches all over the country come out every other week to help in the community and do different mission projects. So the first week, I did the same things those groups were doing. And from the group I was with, we went each day to a home of a person in the community and helped with yard work. So we would clear the yards, pulling weeds and getting up garbage because there's a big issue with wildfires out there. Because even though it's in Washington State, it is a desert on the reservation. So we cleared two different yards while I was there. I worked with the youth from the church, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, Really had a good time bonding with them and learning a lot about their culture because I was with natives each day. Uh, It was also work that coming from Alabama, it was pretty easy because I knew what to do when it comes to yard work, so I appreciated that. Uh, The second week, I spent my time with the interns preparing for the team that would be coming the next week. So it was nice getting to experience both. I got to do what the teams were doing, but then the next week I also got to help with the actual ministry preparations for these teams coming out and work with the church and the people at Sacred Road to prepare for our next team coming in. Are you able to tell us a little bit about the kinds of uh, fruit that were born by the kind of work that you did there? Yeah, I enjoyed the work at people's houses because you built really strong relationships with the people that you were helping. So the woman that we helped for the first few days I was there was always quick to keep her door unlocked and tell us we were welcome to come in if we needed the restroom or water or anything like that. So we built strong relationships with them. And then each afternoon we would have what's called Kids Club, uh, where we would go to a local neighborhood in the community and take buses of children out there and lots of games for them to play with. And we would spend a couple of hours each afternoon just playing with all of these children and then telling them a Bible story and feeding them a snack. And it was just a good experience, especially being away from my children for two weeks, to get to play with these other kids and bond with them. Samantha, can you explain some of the the issues that they experienced there on the reservation and, and kind of what drew Chris and Mary Granberry to go and serve among them? Yeah, so a lot of the problems we talked about while we were out there 
We actually did a tour of the local museum that talks a lot about the history of the Yakima people. And we talked a lot about how two things we usually all agree on as Christians is that we are called to love our neighbors and that the first neighbors we had as um, colonials coming to this country were the natives and that we didn't do a good job of loving them when we came here. So it was very important to them to teach these natives what Christianity and especially Christian love looks like in response to the love they've not felt from us in the past. And we talked a lot about identity issues with the natives because primarily colonials forced our identity on them. So as opposed to showing them Christian love, we wanted them to look more like the colonial culture we brought with us from different places in Europe. And this led to an identity crisis for them because we've forced them into boarding schools and these type things where they're punished for speaking their language or showing any sort of culture. So now they've been forced to be more primarily white and uh, embrace our culture to where they're not really feeling their native identity anymore, but also they're still more native to where they're not accepted with the white culture either. So they're in this in-between stage where their land has been taken away and for cultures where they move around with the wildlife and different things like that and now they have to stay in place and they're not hunting and gathering as much and having to rely on uh, white economic systems and they've had their language stripped away and their religion and even like clothing styles and that kind of thing. It just led to a big identity crisis for the natives mm-hmm. to where they don't really know where they fit in all of this. And that's give them a bad taste of Christianity if that's what Christianity is to them. So are many of them Christian now or very few are Christian? The very first day I arrived in Yakima, they were having a prayer meeting for the recent events. Uh, The week before I flew out, there was a homicide in the area. So they had a prayer meeting for it. And it was really interesting because they called all of these different denominations, what we would call different religions, to come together at this prayer meeting. And at the prayer meeting, they had Catholics represented, Methodists, Sacred Road was there. Shakers and the native uh, religions were also represented. So there are Christian churches on the reservation, and in some of the religions, at least from what I understood, like Shakers, it was kind of a mix between Christian influence along with the native religions. Um, So there are some Christians, but there's also a strong hold to these native religions as the last remaining parts of their culture. You talked about the identity crisis. What did you learn about, in particular, cross-cultural ministry within this context um, that may look different than the ministry you do at your church? Yeah, so that was actually one of the questions I asked Chris while we were there, was how, in the context of a people that are struggling with an identity crisis and that blames that, rightfully so, on their experience with Christianity— How do you share Christianity with them without stealing what little bit of identity they have left? And I thought it was really insightful that he talked about not making that decision for them, what parts of their culture they have to give up. 
but instead learning from them as he teaches them about our faith and as more people convert to Christianity, asking them, because you know more about your culture, what aspects of it can you hold on to and still follow our faith and what parts do you need to give up in order to follow Christian faith? So I thought it was very good that he was still open to hearing from them and learning from them and trying to figure it out together as opposed to coming in and telling them this is what you need to do to be a Christian as opposed to what you've done in your culture. Sounds like you had such a powerful experience this summer working there. Um, we're, We're running out of time, and there's lots of people who will listen to this who, like you and like me, like all of us at this table, are very active in their congregations and care deeply about evangelism and missions. If you could sum up a takeaway for them, for our listeners, based on the kind of experience that you had this summer, as we all think better, we hope and pray, uh, about evangelism and missions moving forward, what would you want to recommend to us? I would want people to realize that they may be called more to missions than they initially think. I didn't necessarily have a heart for missions when coming to Beeson. I very much agreed with it as far as head knowledge, but I didn't feel it as a calling. But my experience at Yakima definitely put in my heart a call to it. I told someone earlier today, I cried when I left Birmingham because I was leaving my children and, you know, it was hard and scary, but it was just as hard to fly back to Birmingham Mm -hmm. and leave the people of Yakima. Well, you have been listening to Dr. David Parks, who directs the Global Center here at Beeson Divinity School and oversees the students who go on these experiences. And you have been listening as well to Samantha Parsons, who did ministry in the state of Washington among the Yakima people. Um, Thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you've helped us through them uh, in this interview. Uh, We pray, Lord, uh, that you would inspire all of us to more faithfulness uh, in gospel witness and love uh, of our neighbors. Uh, as we move forward. Uh, You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Mm-hmm.